Are there witches among us? If you thought the people of Germany immediately after World War II might have had more concrete things to worry about, you're possibly right. But that may even be why our guest this time, historian Monica Black, describes the country at the time as, in the title of her new book, A Demon-Haunted Land. Yeah, so what I'm what I'm about to read is um, just a, a little a little piece of of my explanation for why we see an eruption of of witchcraft accusations after the Second World War in what became West Germany. The most commonplace image used to evoke post-war Germany is the rubble that littered the cities. But there was a kind of rubble plaguing the smaller towns and the countryside too, the rubble of social relations. It could not be measured in cubic tons, but maybe it was heavier because it could not be picked up and carted away. The unprocessed past, not just the Nazi past, but also the period of denazification, left behind a climate of bitterness and insecurity in places where witchcraft was an available logic of social relations, a way of working out who was whose ally in a shifting landscape of loyalties. Another figure who sort of strides around and was born the same year as Gronig is Valdemar Eberling, who, if uh, Gronig saw himself kind of as being sent from God to to um, reveal the power of good, dealt more with evil and people who'd been afflicted with evil by the devil, maybe. Yes, absolutely by the devil. So... I would say there's actually much less daylight between these two guys than you might think. Both of them thought that they had a gift which was divine in origin that that enabled them, that gave them the ability to identify evil in other people. That he had a kind of sense sometimes that someone in the neighborhood was perhaps getting up to no good and he would never say this explicitly. He would never say, oh, listen, that person who lives across the street is a witch. He never said anything like that. But he would say to people, oh, there's an awful lot of illness in your family lately. Oh, and that tree fell on your house. Oh, and your crops have failed this year. And right, he would run through a list of, of, of misfortunes that a particular family perhaps had faced. And he would say, what can be behind all of this? It could be witchcraft. And in a community for whom that makes sense, it was a perfectly ordinary thing to tell someone. In a small face-to-face community, in a rural setting, people know each other very well. And they knew, for example, who had illegitimately obtained property. And they knew that they had gone unpunished. Or they feared if they, for example, had illegally gotten their hands on property that wasn't due to them, they feared that one of their neighbors who knew about it might decide to inform someone about that fact. And this created a churn of mistrust and sort of misgivings of people among one another. And in communities where witchcraft was a kind of viable idea about, let's just say, how social relations work, that was a situation that was fairly ripe for accusations to fester because no one really knows who is whose ally in a moment like that. 
it's such a complicated picture because one of the other things that you point out is this, that quite often witchcraft and Jewish people were conflated and therefore anti-witching became associated with anti, uh, anti-Semitism. Right. I mean, one of the main figures in my book is a man named Johann Kruse, who's actually the person who got me started on writing this book in the first place because I found a reference to a book that he had written in the early 1950s about witchcraft in post-war Germany. And I thought, well, what that can't be what it sounds like, but it was. Essentially, in English, the title would be, Are There Witches Among Us? And so I found this a reference to this book, and I thought, what in the world is this? And I started reading it, and I realized it was, in fact, about you know witchcraft beliefs in post-war Germany, and that, that's what actually got me started on this entire um, project. But Kruse, one of the, he was a very interesting guy who was, he was a social democrat. He was a, you know, very much a, a man who would have thought of himself as a figure of the Enlightenment, you know, um, uh, a science-minded person, and uh, a, a vigorous campaigner throughout his life against witchcraft beliefs. I mean, he was a real activist. One of the reasons that witchcraft beliefs alarmed him so much was because they seemed to echo earlier forms of scapegoating, such as anti-Semitic scapegoating. By about 1961, the cases have simply dried up, really by the late 50s, actually. Um, One official says, we've been investigating and we just can't find any more cases. He says, we don't know ourselves what happened. And my sort of answer to this is that, you know, over time, as material conditions improved, as um, the kinds of misfortunes that are likely to give rise to witchcraft accusations dried up, as people became less concerned, let's say, less anxious about what their neighbors might say about them, that things calmed down again and the accusations sort of faded away. These people, whether they be lay doctors or faith healers or good witches or whatever, were they, on the whole, quite useful for Germany? You know, in, in some countries, like I'm, I'm thinking of South Africa and, and also what's proposed for, for Northern Ireland, that, you know, you have a tribunal of truth and reconciliation which sort of turns it forensic and, uh, you know, assumes that voicing specifically in, in a sort of manner acceptable to a court is the most useful way of doing things. And I, I wonder if the things that you're talking about are more poetic and literary ways of, of performing the same function. I think your, your way of framing that is right. The sort of forensic approach means that the things that one has done either fit some definition of a crime or they don't. People can have done all kinds of awful things that don't fit the definition of a crime, let's say. These phenomena that I describe in the book provided some kind of release valve. Um, even when people, if people are given carte blanche to tell the terrible things that they did and not have to suffer any consequences from it, that also seems to leave something out, <laughs> to, you know, neglect, to to, to punish people for the things that they did. And so there's a way in which maybe some of these phenomena helped in a spiritual sense to, to play that kind of role, to serve that kind of purpose. Monica Black there, whose new book is A Demon-Haunted Land, Witches, Wonder Doctors and the Ghosts of the Past in Post-World War II Germany. And if you'd like to hear an extended version of that conversation, Saturday Tea Time and the Culture File Weekly is the time and the place for you.